Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. I made a little joke last week about in the book of 1 John, no matter where you point, you're going to kind of get the same message. Uh, John is very insistent and sticks very consistent with, uh, with the message to, the, to this early church. And, and while John is most likely writing to the Ephesian church, uh, it probably is a circular letter which is meant to pass throughout many of the churches of, of Asia Minor and, and throughout the region. And so uh, he is writing to the general church but I think that he probably has some faces in mind as, as he writes. In, in 1 John chapter 5, John mentions his tenth hereby or thereby or because of this. And so he's very, very insistent on, on creating this linear process of our faith and how to get to one, from one place to the next. And so uh, we'll begin reading in verse, in verse 1. Everyone who believes... And this word belief is much more than like uh, has a, an understanding that God is or that God exists. This word belief means experiential knowledge. Someone who is actually walking with Jesus, not just knowing about, about him. So whoever confesses, and that word confess means to say the same thing as. So whoever lives like Jesus, speaks like Jesus, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And again, it's not a matter of just being able to say Jesus is born of God or that Jesus is the Christ. It's more to do in, in locking your life in with that, making a surrender and a submission to that truth. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And so if you are a follower of Jesus and you're walking with Jesus, you will love those who, have also, who are also walking with Jesus. By this we know that we love the children of God. Here's, how, here's the litmus test. When we love God and obey his commandments. So in, this, in these two verses, we see this repeated cycle, right? Whoever believes or knows God walks with him. Whoever loves his people and whoever obeys his commandments. There's the three things again. I write these things that you may know that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. That you know Jesus, that you obey Jesus, and that you love Jesus' people. Verse 3, for this is the love of God. For this that I'm about to say is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And, and by the way, the way this is written is this is not new information. This actually refers back to the previous. And, so, so let me do it again. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And this is the love of God his commandments are not burdensome. This is not a separate statement. This is the same statement. That, and I think what John is trying to say is, is that when you operate out of love for God, knowing him relationally, when you operate from obeying him then out of love, that the things that God tells us to do aren't like burdensome. When you, when you love someone, it is a 
pleasure and an honor to serve them. It's not a drudgery. If obeying the commands of Christ are burdensome, it may be because you don't love the one who has laid down the command. It's so much easier to serve those that you love. That's why knowing God comes first. Once you know him, you love him. Once you love him, you obey him. Once you obey him, the proof of his residing in you is your ability to love unconditionally everyone else. Now, if your, relation, if your, if your motivation is, well, God forces me, well, chances are it's going to, you're, going to walk, you're going to walk by burden. And you're going to, dare I say, know what to do and yet find this cycle of doing it and then stopping it and then doing it and stopping it, knowing it's right and stopping it, this cycle of on again, off again, roller coaster type of faith. The reason that we do that is we know what we ought to do, but the motivation isn't pure. And so what John is trying to say is when your motivation is pure, his, his commandments aren't burdensome. This is very important for us as Christians to know that when, when one of the disciples say, by the way, the disciple who said that all of the teachings of Jesus couldn't fit in all the libraries of the world. When this disciple says his commandments aren't burdensome. When, when the man who is boiled in oil, uh, the man who, who took over responsibility for Jesus' mother in her older age, the man who is exiled to Patmos because he refused to kneel to Caesar, when this man says he com- his commandments are not burdensome, you listen because he's figured out a secret a secret of how to love the one you serve. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, I want you to notice here that faith is the trophy. Faith isn't the weapon. Faith is the victory Faith isn't the thing that we use to overcome. It is the byproduct of overcoming. You see, the weapon that we use to overcome is Jesus. Who is, that's where we place our belief. That's where we place our obedience. That's where we place our love. We're not talking about some arbitrary, subjective faith, but an objective faith. Faith in a person, not faith in faith. People say this kind of thing, oh, just, just have faith. But the object of your faith is the most important part of faith. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, what begins to happen is faith helps you to rationally have hope. Hope gives you the ability to, in the midst of your circumstances, have what? If faith looks back and I see what God has done, it helps me to look forward and predict that there is a future. And when I can walk confidently toward that future, knowing God's character and nature, what does that free me up to do in the moment? To love. I'm free to love. I don't have to take into consideration, oh, what's God going to do? What are people going to think? How are people going to think about me? What are people going to do? No, I'm free to love everybody. I don't take everything personal. I don't look to be offended. I know what the future looks like. It's filled with hope because I have a walking relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So this, this very brief epistle is full of help to those who battle the assurance of salvation. And I believe that the Apostle John is masterful in helping Christians determine whether or not they are truly in the faith. It's a big deal then. It's a big deal now. Now, when John is writing this is near the end of his life. And the reason that that is important is because we're probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 50 to 60 years post-cross, post-resurrection. Meaning that now the church has third and fourth generation Christians. And these Christians did not hear John preach. They did not hear Paul preach. Some of the letters haven't gotten around in circulation quite as much yet. They didn't hear Jesus. They weren't standing at the cross. They're having to, they're having to truly live by faith, not by sight. And so when John is trying to shore up their faith because of these false teachings that have crept into the church, it makes sense that he would help them battle the assurances of their salvation. Now, again, there are three, these repetitive signs throughout 1 John. And so the answer to these three questions should help you come down to the basic question, and that is, is my faith filled with condemnation or is my faith filled with confidence? Does the things that I live, the way I live, does it build confidence in eternity or do it, does it condemn my day? It's one of the most important questions that I believe that, that a child of God can truly answer. And this first sign is spiritual. We've seen it many times. You should have confidence that you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do you believe in Jesus? And if you say, I believe in Jesus, I would say it's, it's just as important to believe Jesus as it is to believe in Jesus. To believe Jesus means to take Jesus at his word. I don't believe that Jesus is just a historical figure. I don't believe that he was just a good teacher. I don't believe that he was just a historical person. I believe what Jesus taught. I believe what Jesus said. And because I believe it, I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to live as if he is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to live in such a way to give a testimony. I'm going to obey even the hard things because Jesus is either the Lord of all or not the Lord at all. You can't have a mixed Jesus, a Jesus that is an important person but not authority. I, I like this illustration. It's like, are you against poverty? Most people would say, yes, I'm against it. Well, how, how do I know you're against it? By what you say or by what you do? Well, I'm against homelessness. Okay. How would a person know? Just verbally against it? Or are you actively against it? And the kind of belief that Jesus is calling us to is an active belief, a belief that actually follows and obeys the teachings of Jesus. And what he would say is, is if you're not obeying it, you don't really believe it. You just believe it here. You don't believe it here. John uses 
by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this word know 21 times in just this book alone. 21 times to learn through experience. For we know, we have come to know, we have come to believe because we have experienced. And this is the first sign that you believe in Jesus. The second sign is moral. You should have confidence if you live by a righteous life. We talked about a lot in chapter 3. I'm going to run through these very quickly. But for those who practice sin, who intentionally choose to violate their claim in Jesus, I trust Jesus is much different than Jesus is my choice. I'm going to go to heaven and so my, all my bets are on Jesus. This is, not, this is not a confession in Jesus. This is just a place betting. And what Christians have got to do is to be able to move from that religious, that, that spiritual decision to a moral decision. And if your life violates the claims of Christ, then your faith is not placed in Jesus, only your mouth is. A person who stumbles repetitively, habitually walking in sin should not be confident in their faith in Jesus. That's no different than what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. In Galatians 5, he says that those who walk in the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's no different than what Jesus said in John chapter 15, that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So if you live a morally righteous life that flows out of your relationship and to the glory of Jesus, that's when you should have confidence. The third sign is social. You should have a confidence in your development in Christ that leads you to love other Christians. If you love like Cain, you do not have life. But if your heart and your hand are open to your brothers and sisters, eternal life abides in you, John says. So there are the three signposts. We live a righteous life. We actively love Christians, or we can put it this way, we know that we have eternal life if we love Jesus, if we love his commands, and if we love his people. And by the way, these are not options. This is all three of these working simultaneously. But I think that they are linear. I think it's once we know him, we obey him. Once we obey him, we learn to love. Because it's through knowing him that we learn what love is. If we try to love others without his love, we're going to make a mess. If we try to obey him without loving him, we're going to make a mess. So John belabors the same points over and over and over again, many different ways. Do you love God? Do you love his commands? Do you love his people? If you don't, if you don't, then you're double-minded and you're unstable in every other area of your life. Do you love God? Do you love his commands? Do you love his people? If you don't, it's proof that you still reside in death. And you may not look like some terrorists you don't have to look like a terrorist to be headed toward death. Satan would have it that many people would think that they are followers of Jesus Christ only to find out that they never were. There are many 
so-called Christians that are being lulled to sleep. I believe that it will give birth to the great falling away at the very end that the book of Revelation and many of the prophets talk about. The love of many will wax cold. But if you do know and spend time relationally with God, if you do seek out his word to honor him and to glorify him with your life and your lips, and if you do seek opportunities to actively love and participate in others' lives, that's the sign that you have life. There's a big difference between believing Jesus said something and believing that Jesus said something to you. You can do Bible study and you can gather facts and information. But Christians do Bible study and it transforms their lives because their mind is also transformed. Because they're submitting their lives to that truth. Verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by water and the blood. Now, John is redundant here for a moment. He doesn't just do this for effect. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. In other words, we know or we act toward Jesus because of the Spirit's prompting, not because of our prompting. Verse 7, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. So how does the Spirit, which is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus, the water, which I believe refers to Jesus' earthly birth through woman, his life, and the blood being his death and ultimately his resurrection life. How, do, how does the ministry, the continuation of the ministry of Jesus, the birth of Jesus physically, and the spiritual birth of us in Christ how do they agree in the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, if you go, if you go back over into the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, and, and there's another passage in uh, chapter 19, verse 15, that talks about that any fact or any truth is, is brought to, to, to be known as truth by, by two or more witnesses, by three witnesses. And so that's what John is going back to here, saying, you don't have to just take my word for it. The Spirit in you testifies to that. I mean, you can go back and see that Jesus truly was born in, on the earth. And we also were testif testimonies or, test or witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. You have heard these three things. And they all say exactly the same thing. That Jesus is the Son of God. Well, that was the reason that the reason that he's saying this is because he's fighting these false teachings of the docetists who teach that Jesus was only spirit, that he was not physical at all. Therefore, he has no bearing on our physical lives. They had become very amoral. Do, ever, do ever, whatever you want to do. It doesn't really matter. Jesus loves you anyway. Boy, I tell you what, the spirit of the docetists are alive today. Oh, the grace of Jesus affords you to do whatever you want to do. Live however you want to live. And at the end of your sin, just stamp the grace card. And John is here to say, no, there is a different proof. Thank God for grace. In fact, confession of sin is actually proof that you are saved because John tells us in John chapter one, you are going to sin. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about the excusing of sin. 
the justifications of sin. This is the way the world lives. They excuse it, they justify it, they sanction it, they defend it, but not so for Christians. Here's a proof that you're a Christian. God, it's me again, I'm so sorry. How did I end up here again? Oh, we all sin. It's what we do with it, how it affects our spirit. That's the difference. So John is setting forth that Jesus is a man and he is God and the spirit is the one who teaches you that he is both. Verse nine, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has born as concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is, his, is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Listen, Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus isn't just a, oh, I have, to have a, I have to have a confession in Jesus or I can't go to heaven or I have to have Jesus in order to have eternal life. Jesus is more than insurance. When the Bible says that when you have Jesus, you will have life, he's not talking about eternity. He's talking about this very moment you can have life. The moment that you give your life to Jesus, you die to self. And in that moment, you receive the resurrection spirit. And in that moment, you begin to immediately walk in eternity. And yet in this world, simultaneously, there should be marked differences among those who have said they have died to Christ from those who have only claimed to do such. He's the life we long for, not just the ticket to heaven. Some say, well, that sounds a lot like you're preaching salvation by works. Here are the three things you have to do to go to heaven. And I would say, no, no, no. You got, you got the order backwards. These are not the three things that you do to go to heaven. It's now that you're going to heaven. Here are the three things that prove it. It's exactly the reverse order. It's because I have a relationship with Jesus, these things begin to manifest in, in my life. You're not, I'm, not, I'm nowhere near in my teaching that you have to be perfect or that there's things that you can do. In fact, I just said, it's the Spirit's prompting first. But when you respond to that Spirit's prompting and you give your life to Jesus, what begins to happen is there's a marked change in your life. And it's the change that John says you need to evaluate. Others may say, well, you're putting a lot of emphasis on I, what I believe, what I do, how I love, how I act. And, and it's true, the Bible doesn't necessarily want us to be the, our own judge of whether or not we're saved. Jesus does do the work. This is completely true. But some think that they can simply pray a prayer or to make some confession and then never think about it again. But if you confess Jesus, if you, if you say the same thing about Jesus that he said, if you agree with the Holy Spirit's testimony of who Jesus is, you get life. What does the life look like? It looks like Jesus. So your life begins to look like Jesus. Your thoughts begin to look like Jesus. Your passions begin to look like Jesus. 
says you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But understand, this is not just confessing with the mouth. It's also believing in the heart. It's this dying too. It's this complete surrender. It's the removing of every other crutch and, and, and to be in this continual pursuit of removing all distractions, obstacles from one's life and be seeking the throne room of God at all times. And after you remove all the crutches, the building, it's the building back. It's the things that Paul would say, the putting on these things. Throughout 1 John, I think we're meant to see something. And John continually says over and over, by this we know, by this we know, by this we know. And it sounds very pious to say that we're never meant to look at the external evidence. Just look to Jesus but, Jesus, but Scripture over and over and over says that there's evidence to know how people are living their lives. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13 to examine yourselves and to see whether you are in the faith. This is the kind of church that we want to belong to, the kind of church where we are mutual the kind of church where we are serious about what we teach. We're serious about what we teach. We're, we, we want to be doctrinally centered only on the word of God, regardless of how fashionable or trendy it may be. Because knowing him in his truth is the most important thing. If we miss who Jesus is, it creates a shaky foundation for everything else. It affects the, what love looks like. It affects everything else, how, which which commands will be obedient to it affects everything what we what we know and what we turn you to is the most important thing and to be able to walk in obedience to those things and to make practical application of those things and then finally learning how to love one another making sure that people belong to each other and know each other and care about each other these are the three things that the world's craving for us to be and we're committed to those things but not just when we're together we have, to, we have to prove that commitment when we're mowing our yard, when we're paying our bills, when we're driving up and down the street. So once we come to the point where we can know what's true, it gives us the assurance that we need to live for God even when it's hard. I write these things to you, verse 13, who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. That you may, by experience, learn. And, and not to be too redundant he doesn't say that you will have eternal life what does he say that you have eternal life Amen. have and if you have eternal life then that eternal life is flowing through you to a world that does not have eternal life seems a strange thing that God would use your brokenness to testify of his goodness. And yet that's exactly what he does. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would.
I intended to finish the chapter today. I intended to be a little quicker in catching us up, and yet John just continues to circle and circle and circle. It's so important. And I've told, I've told you before, I don't feel like God has called me to pastor a church for the moment. I don't feel like that God has called us to be a church that lives for the here and the now. A church that is getting really great biblical advice or counsel every week. There's, there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. It, there needs to be a better balance than what we see most places. But, but I feel like God is calling us to be a church that is prepared for increasing difficulty. To be able to stand in those last days to be a beacon and a lighthouse to those who have not heard what it looks like to be a Christian when it's hard. And I, I am 100% convinced that the great falling away or the great giving up is an identity problem. Maybe, maybe it's not a falling away. I know it's what the scripture says and I'm not, I'm not correcting it. But maybe it's not as much a falling away as it just becomes obvious what it's been all along. It becomes apparent all along that people, God's people have had an identity problem. Their faith has been in the wrong things. They've not been strengthened in the right things. And if you think that we're not in a, a moral and a, a Christian conflict or crisis in this country, you are mistaken. It is slowly eroding away. But I'm telling you what's not eroding is the truth of Jesus Christ. There's not fewer born-again believers than there ever have been. It's just there's better evidence for what is true and what is not true. There's no reason for us to shirk away. There's no reason for us to shrink back. We have every reason. And I'm convinced that if Satan can take away your assurance, he will strip you of your confidence. He will strip you of your boldness and he will strip you of your testimony. And those are going to be the things going forward. If you go back over to Revelation chapter 12 and you see how the believers overcome, you will see that's it. It's the testimony that God has put in our hearts. And that's what I want for us. Now, believe me, I want your marriage to be healthy. I want your parenting to be healthy. I want your relationships with one another to be healthy. I want you to be good stewards of your money. I want you to be happy. I want all the things for you. But I can tell you this, you can't get there until you get right with Jesus Christ. It's the first step to everything else. So if you're here today and Maybe you're out of step with Jesus. Maybe you're not seeing those fruits bearing in you. Maybe, maybe you are a follower of Jesus only with your lips. And maybe you don't know how to follow him. Oh, that's so why we need each other. I'll confess to you, I'm still learning how to follow Jesus. 
Maybe you don't know how to study his word. Maybe you don't know how to do Bible study for yourself. Maybe you don't know how to share your faith. Welcome home. We're going to help each other. We're going to learn together. Challenge each other and be challenged by each other. But these three things, knowing Jesus Christ, obeying Jesus Christ alone, and loving one another are always going to be paramount as we prepare ourselves for the last days. Our last days or the last days, I'm not sure. But may God be glorified. If today there's some need in your life and you need to pray, I want to invite you to come. Otherwise, where you stand is going to be a place of surrender. If you're willing. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together today. We ask that you be exalted and lifted up, not only in this place, but in every place we go. May we, may we carry the testimony of your goodness. May it be manifest by our love, by our serving, and by our ability to discern truth. Thank you for those that are here today, and I pray blessing on us as we continually learn to live what it looks like to put you paramount, preeminent in every area of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.